Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in K-12 ed tech this week. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. Lots of great stuff being posted up at eSchool News this month, everything from big picture ideas and inspiration to nitty-gritty advice on the day-to-day strategies to help staff and students. So let's dig in. First off, Dr. Christina Counts, she's the Vice President of Education at MIEN Company, MEAN, weighs in for one more January prediction piece. She actually posts five trends for 2023. I'll share three of them with you now. For the full effect, go to eschoolnews.com and go into the news feed and search for five of the biggest education trends in 2023. Number one, social and emotional well-being. She writes, the pandemic prompted the need for a stronger focus on supporting the social and emotional well-being of students and teachers alike. As we rebound from the academic, emotional, and community challenges that arose during the pandemic, schools will need to ensure they're offering the support and resources that students and teachers need. Number two, game-based learning in esports. She writes, 97% of adolescents play at least one hour of video gaming per day. So bringing games into the classroom is intuitive for students. Gamified learning motivates students to engage with educational content in a different way, keeping students excited about their progress and helping to synthesize learning. Bringing games into the classroom also gives students an opportunity to explore social emotional principles, increasing their adaptability and communication, as well as improving their ability to work with others. And now here's a third, micro-learning, or otherwise known as nano-learning. These are learning approaches that have been successfully used in corporate training for a while, but is expected to really emerge in K-12 education in 2023. This bite-sized learning technique targets small chunks of learning content, which are presented to students in short easily digestible tutorials, or mini-lessons. Lessons focus on repetition of the same concepts spaced out over time with the goal of increased retention. There are many, many more insights in this piece. Be sure to check it out. Next, Melissa Riggs. She's an EdTech specialist at School District 49 in Colorado. She writes that her district needed to encourage consistent practices and compliance insurances with the state and federal student data privacy requirements. Here's an excerpt on their journey to get there. She writes, We knew we needed help to encourage consistent practices across school buildings, ensuring compliance with Colorado's student data privacy requirements, reduce frustration and confusion among stakeholders, and that includes parents, students, and staff, and to begin to evaluate the impact of ed tech on student outcomes. She goes on, at the same time, we wanted to maintain local decision-making, and for us, it was all about balance. She goes on to list five practices. I'll share three here. Number one, audit what is currently in use, not just what's being purchased. To better understand our district's ed tech usage, she writes, our tech team set up a free inventory dashboard. Within days, we realized that students and teachers were using a lot more technology tools than we expected over 2,000 system-wide. So taking stock of the ed tech tools being accessed in a district is an essential first step for identifying immediate opportunities for improvement, spotting and eliminating any redundancies, 
uncovering potential savings, and creating and prioritizing improvement plans that are aligned to system-wide goals. Here's another one. Understand K-12 laws, both at the federal and state levels. She writes, selecting technology platforms and apps needs to address a district's unique challenges and also comply with state and federal law. For example, in Colorado, the state law requires the ability to, quote, request and evaluate remote learning technology, while the U.S. Department of Ed says when possible. So district leaders need to understand these laws and ensure that vendors comply as mandated by their particular state when applicable, as that may differ from the federal guidelines. And then here's another one. Work with partners to streamline ed tech processes. She writes, being able to sit down with principals and point to the effectiveness of technology choices they made last year, last month, or even at the beginning of the school year, is an essential part of streamlining the selection and procurement process. She writes, they partner with Learn Platform to gather, comply, share, and communicate our district's EdTech evidence-building protocol to continuously improve teaching and learning. This is the, the nitty-gritty that I was talking about. I mean, going through this piece, you can really pull out some, some great ideas for implementing technology in your classrooms. And finally, hiring additional reading and math coaches, counselors, school psychologists, and other support staff is a key strategy for meeting students' academic and social-emotional learning needs. However, when school systems use federal funding for personal expenses, they must have a plan in place for tracking and reporting the time and effort that employees spend on grant-funded activities to protect current and future student funding support. So I was able to have a great conversation with uh, Keisha Ray. She's an industry legend. Uh, Janet Haygood, she's at Jefferson County Schools. And Rob Tibbs, he's the K-12 industry consultant and the UKG public sector practice. And we got to talk about just that, using federal grants to, to hire personnel. Here's a snippet. Janet certainly seems to have her ducks in a row when it comes to this. I'll, I'll assume that you've worked with districts that may not be as organized or along the path. What, what sort of advice uh, would you give district administrators right now who are trying to grapple with this issue? Yeah, I think, I think Janet nailed it. But, you know, one consistent thing that I, that I do see are the, quote, silos that she mentioned. And even from my past experience working in, in a school district, you know, that existed. So I see, see a lot of times where the, the time and effort reporting that that Janet mentioned is secondary handled in federal programs or, or within that realm of the school district. And then payroll does their thing to make sure people get paid from the, for the right job, the right rate and all that. But it's, it's two separate things. And I think as Janet mentioned, it's critically important that, that we merge those together now and that we work together with finance and federal programs to ensure that, that we have a process in place, not only to comply with, with the federal time and effort reporting requirements, but also to comply with FLSA and other things that have been in place from a payroll perspective for a very long time. So I would say that that's number one. Um, number two, I, I think, um, as Janet mentioned, her district has had a timekeeping system for quite a while. So it was an easy transition to start doing the time and effort within that application. Unfortunately, there's a lot of districts not in that place and they still are doing things very manual 
And now this has just uh, created a bigger um, administrative burden for both the federal programs area that manages time and effort, but also for, for payroll because they have, as Janet mentioned, so many more employees working um, summer programs or other after-school care programs, or they're adding pre-K initiatives within the district and things like that. And it just creates even more of an administrative burden when things are manual. So I think um, now is the time to to look to automating that, to streamline the process, to to make it better, um, to but but to also to ensure compliance. And so that's where, as I've had the opportunity to work with districts all across the country, those are all consistent things that I've seen. So I'm like, I, I think we can help here. And so that's where we started working with the Department of Education and, and identifying, as Janet mentioned, what are some things that we can do within the system to stay compliant, but also streamline the process? And that's what we've been able to accomplish by adding a PAR or time and effort uh, solution within our already existing solution, specifically tailored for the time and effort reporting. So as Janet mentioned, we can ensure that we're, they're tracking the activity and they're attesting to that and it goes to the proper approvals. And then as she mentioned, the documentation, the electronic, the personnel activity report or the final version of what she would have to show if she was audited or approved. And all, all of that is, is something that I think is critically important and that, that districts you know, have to consider now. You can go up online to eschoolnews.com and go into the webinar tab to hear the full conversation under the title, Using Federal Grants to Hire Personnel, Advice for Districts. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eschoolnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the ed tech space. Remember, eSchool is always free and always helping innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eSchool News.